Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Today, I talk with Philadelphia City Council member Derek Green. He's a former assistant attorney general who made the transition to elected office in 2015 and hasn't looked back. He's been on the forefront of policies to create a public bank, legalize cannabis, and help those facing eviction during COVID. We talked about those efforts, how his city is faring, and how he thinks about his political future. He's a national leader for cities. Enjoy. Philadelphia City Council Member Derek Green, welcome to an honorable profession. It is great to be seeing you today. Thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Considering that you're elected official and do the podcast, it's really it's a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It is. And I got to say, we are meeting in Washington, D.C. at the New Deal Conference. It's been two years since I've been able to do an in-person podcast, and this is the first one back. It's nice to be talking to someone like a normal human being again. Yes, it's good to be three-dimensional, not two-dimensional, <laughs> where you're Zoom and Skype for two, you know, almost two years, and people you've gotten to know quite regularly on a very regular basis because of Zoom, Skype, WebEx, and then you see them in person for the first time. It's like, I didn't realize you were this tall. Yeah, I didn't it's yeah. like, oh, okay. It's, I'm not used to seeing you without having the stuff in the background, <laughs> like your books and your library behind you and all that good stuff. And the barking dog. And the yeah, the dog and right, right. The whole thing, the whole thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I want to start by asking you how Philadelphia is doing right now. How are you doing with a vaccine rollout? What's the infrastructure bill looking like? Like, how's your city? So Philadelphia, and I hate to use the often used mantra, tale of two cities, um, but Philadelphia, like a lot of major cities around this nation, really is a tale of two cities. Uh, we've had some you know, really significant challenges. Last year, we had 499 homicides. Uh, we still have a 25% poverty rate. You know, the uh, American Rescue Plan was really instrumental for the city of Philadelphia because we had back-to-back budget deficits of $749 million and then $450 million. So having $1.4 billion come to the city of Philadelphia allowed us to get through those serious financial challenges, but also it gave us some resources to do some really creative things. So we invested $68 million new dollars to address public safety efforts uh, in a way that was much very transformational in the city of Philadelphia. Some of those dollars are going to grassroots community-based organizations that really have been effective at being violence interrupters. And so hopefully that will help us to really stem our gun violence that we've had in our city. Uh, we have some- T- Tell me about that strategy, just because I think so many of us are seeing this increase in violent crime and we're looking for solutions. Tell me, tell me about what, what you're investing in. Well, we're investing in those basic grassroots community organizations that have done you know, great work in the city. 
a friend of mine has an organization called um, Project Shape Up, and he works in West Philadelphia uh, in a barbershop. And it was him and a friend of his, Miles Monroe, that you know were basketball players at West Philadelphia High School. And they said, really, we've got to do something with these really young people um, who are getting involved in gun violence and these issues. So their perspective was, hey, let's use the barbershop. While they're in the chair, Let's have that conversation because you're a captive audience. Can't really go anywhere unless you're going to have a messed up haircut. So while we have young people in a captive audience and some are also waiting to get the haircut, let's have that conversation between young adults and younger people about these issues. And so they've been able to bring a number of different barbershops around the city of Philadelphia. They're trying to build and grow this work. And also a few years ago, they worked with the University of Pennsylvania to do some research on the work they were doing. So it's really been innovative to provide those type of dollars for organizations like Project Shape Up and other organizations that are right in the community really trying to address the issues of gun violence, which often come about because of disagreements, social media um, beefs, and those type of things, and try to interrupt and disrupt um, violence right before it becomes a problem. That's super smart. That's super smart. But I interrupted you on the other investments you all are making well, with that, I mean, that money. The, the, do- the dollars for you know the public safety is so important, but also as we look at how we do other initiatives going forward, we've got some major projects in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, we have an old uh, Sunoco refinery that was a major environmental issue. So we have an organization that bought that, that property. Uh, they're renovating um, that facility. It's in Southwest Philadelphia, not far from 30th Street Station. And they're saying at the minimum 19,000 jobs in logistics and life sciences. So it provides real opportunities for someone that is coming out of Temple or Drexel or Penn or Jefferson to go right into life sciences because you can't work from, you have to work in the lab. You can't work remotely in life sciences, so you have to be in the lab. But also the opportunities for logistics. And we've learned a lot about logistics and supply chain um, because we've had to use Amazon and all these other things. So. The ability to also provide jobs for young people that may be just coming out of high school, that need a high school plus type of skills, they could also go to that location. So when I think about all of these opportunities for the city of Philadelphia, it really makes me think we are a tale of two cities. Wow. That's a, it's such a challenging time, right? Because we're seeing so many shifts in our economy. The, on one hand, we run out of money, and then there's federal dollars, but they're, but they're limited time, so we can't make long-term investments. It's such a challenge to navigate. Tell me, how did you find yourself in the position of having to uh, navigate all these things <laughs> to make your path to public service? Well, for me, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting, and I'll, and I'll get somewhat personal. Um, my grandfather on my father's side is someone I never got a chance to meet. And so my grandfather bought our family farm in 1943 outside of Greenville, North Carolina in Pitt County. So you can just imagine the environment for an African-American man to purchase a farm. And we grew tobacco, and we grew tobacco all the way through uh, my first year in law school in 1995, and now we just grow corn and cotton. But my grandfather was able to have that vision that's important for, for his children to have education. And so he worked with other farmers in Pitt County to purchase a bus to make sure that their children get education. Because at that time, you worked on the farm, and then you walked to school, and you walked to the South Aiden Colored School. So by the time you got to school, the school day was mostly done. So that I have the opportunity for his children, other children, to be able to get transportation from their farms 
to get to school was important because he saw education as an opportunity for his children and his, his grandchildren to have a better life. And so what's funny about the bus is that all of my uncles drove the bus because it was my grandfather's vision. So my uncle Augustus, Adolph, Lennon, Jesse, Eddie, and then my dad was the junior, he was the youngest. He was the rebel, he didn't want to drive the school bus. <laughs> but we have a lot of family lore and history about how this aunt met this uncle on the school bus or someone tried to make a pass or hit on an uncle. And it's a, so it was all this perspective on um, that education perspective. But what led me to public service and I started my career in banking, it showed me that you can do public-private partnership and you can use economic development efforts to do good work. And so that has driven me from my experiences as small business lender with a regional bank um, called Meridian Bank in Philadelphia to you know, going back to law school, then also being an assistant district attorney and assistant deputy attorney general in Delaware. And while I was doing these different things, I then eventually came back to Philadelphia to the law department. While I was in the law department, my former boss wanted to address the issue of predatory lending. And because I've had this whole perspective of economic development and you know, how you can use that for prosperity from my grandfather's perspective, she wanted to address this issue. And when I was in the law department, people said, well, Derek, weren't you a banker? And you know, predatory lending, how does this impact? So why don't you work with her on this bill? So we drafted one of the nation's first anti-predatory lending bills in the country in 1999. And then her legislative aide decided to retire, well, decided to run for judge and she asked me to come on board. And when I joined her staff, and I've been working with her for about a year, uh, my dad said, are you working with a Marion Tasco that started at Bennett College but went to Temple night when I was at Temple? And come to find out they knew each other from wow. at Temple, because my dad started at Morgan State, and a lot of my family members went to Morgan State, um, but then he went to the you know, Korean conflict, came back. So he went to Temple night like my mom, like Marion Tasco. And so I worked with Councilmember Tasco for a number of years, and I ran once and didn't win, came back to her office and then ran again. Uh, and then when I ran the second time, I was already going, thinking about going to private practice um, because um, she was retiring. And the mayor, our current mayor, decided to resign to run for mayor. So literally I had a week to kind of make a decision. And this is January of 2015. And I run once before, and I worked on different campaigns, got involved politically, like my life started to get more and more political. And I talked to a lot of high school and college students, and I say, you never wanna have the what if. You can take the yes, that means go on with your idea, or the no, which means not right now, but maybe in the future, but the what if doesn't give you closure. And so when the mayor decided to run because he was an at-large city council member like I am now, decided to run for mayor, I had that what-if moment. And I was like, I gotta practice what I preach. I can't tell high school students and college students, you don't wanna have the what-if. So then I decided to run again, and I was successful in winning my term in 2015 and getting reelected in 2019. Talk to me about that transition, because uh, working as a, as a district attorney, working as in law, or even as a staff person is very different than being the elected official. Yes. <laughs> uh, tell me what kind of mindset uh, you have to have and what have you learned over the course of these past six years? Wow, so I'm a very hands-on person and it was really difficult to 
become the elected official at times because, you know, when I first got elected, you know, people would say, Councilmember Derek or Councilman Derek or Councilman Green. And I wouldn't always respond because in my mind is Derek, 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 not council member. Like, I'm not a big title person. But having to make that transition of delegating things, you know, I try to do a lot of things and you know, work in legislation. And since I did a lot of legislation as a staffer, not drafting legislation was hard because I would want to jump in. But that's time you take away from doing other things that only you as a council member or elected official can do. So that understanding that balance was a challenge because I think a lot of us are very hands-on people who want to, wait, I can just get in and do this. But you have to learn to delegate. Um, you have to learn to bring really smart, good people around you and defer to them. I have a, a chief of staff that worked with me in Councilmember Tasker's office who's got a very strong personality. And I'd like to have strong people around me that can say, Derek, uh, you're messing up and let me tell you why. Because you need to have that balance because you can get caught up in what I call the trappings of elected service where you got a title and you got this and you got that. It's all about being a servant leader and having people around me that can reinforce that perspective. And also a wife that reminds me that, okay, today's Thursday, you're at a conference in DC, normally you'd be taking trash out Thursday night. So I'm gonna remind you that I'm taking the trash, which is your job, uh, Mr. <laughs> Council Member. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, <laughs> no, I yeah, a hundred percent, and yeah, a wife and kids yes. are always really good at reminding. Keep you grounded. You, keep you grounded. Right, right. I don't care what. Yeah, you're at the White House, but um, what's going on today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just uh, I just announced I'm not seeking re-election. Oh wow! And I pulled my kids aside and I gave them this whole talk about you know it's time for new people to step up. And right, right, right. That. And they were like at the end of my whole speech, they were like does this mean that you can work at Target now and we can go to Target more often? And I'm like, I, I guess, like, in theory, yeah. I guess, like in theory, if that's really what, you know. But, I mean, there are certain benefits in reference to people you get a chance to meet. Like yesterday, I just happened to run to Joe Scarbo as we were coming out of our meeting at the White House. And I'm not, like, I'm a very low-key person. I don't take photos. My wife's all, like, you got to take a photo of this person. And that's not really me. But I knew... When I saw him walk by and I said hi, if I did not take a photo with him and I mentioned to my wife that I ran into Joe Scarborough <laughs> in the White House, she would go ballistic. Like, did you talk to him? Did you tell him like how we watch Morning Joe in the morning? I mean, she's become much more political than me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, super political. Like it's, and she has an um, incredible background having worked at Ernst Young and Price Waterhouse healthcare IT consulting, and she's now helping to build um, a new hospital for King of Prussia. I'm in King of Prussia for Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, uh, and we've done a lot of work with Children's Hospital over the years, but she's much smarter than me, but she's often saying, well, like for example, when Sarah Palin was nominated that Friday morning, and my first cousin worked for um, President Obama when he ran for Senate, and she sent me a text in the morning, like, what are we gonna do? She's uh, a hockey mom, and she's a mayor, and she, she's, what are we gonna do? I was like, well, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm not working on the campaign. <laughs> I can reach out to my cousin Daryl, who's also not working on the campaign on for Senator Obama. So I don't know what we're gonna do. We're just gonna keep doing what we do here in Philadelphia to make Philadelphia better. She's like, oh, we gotta do something. We gotta organize ourselves. 
I'm just a you know, city employee here in Philadelphia. <laughs> I don't know what I could do. <laughs> but, it's good that she holds you accountable for trash oh, and I, for dealing with Sarah Right, Palin. like, what are we, right, okay, what are you going to do about this, Mr. <laughs> Council Member? You represent uh, the whole city of Philadelphia. You know, what's going on here? <laughs> I want to talk about some of that. You talked about, you know, wanting to dive in and do legislation. Right. Uh, here at the New Deal Conference, you were a finalist uh, for an Ideas Challenge Award for creating a public bank. I've also been working on trying to create a public bank. Tell the folks out there why a public bank is important and what it can do for communities. Well, it's interesting how your life comes full circle. And I gave a little perspective of me working at Meridian Bank and then going to law school. And then those two backgrounds came together to predatory lending with Councilmember Tasco. So, you know, in my first term, I started to learn as some good friends of mine in Philadelphia were talking about this idea of a public bank. And I remember when I was a small business lender from Meridian in North Philadelphia, I saw firsthand the decades of impact of redlining and the challenges that businesses of color in particular have in access and credit to grow. When you look at the city of Philadelphia, we have a 38% African-American population. We have a 15% Latinx population, but only 6% of the businesses with employees are owned by African-Americans, and only 4% of the businesses with employees are owned by people from the Latin diaspora. A lot of those businesses have not been able to grow historically. A lot of that ties into lack of access to credit. So as I started to learn about public banking, and we had some hearings in city council, uh, and then we were able to identify some funds on our budget process to hire a consultant, HRNA, to do a study on is a public bank right and feasible for the city of Philadelphia. Then coming out of that work, we then went to the pandemic. And so, but before we got into the real throes of the pandemic, we introduced a bill based on a lot of different information uh, about trying to bring a public bank to the city of Philadelphia. Since that time, we then brought in another uh, outside consultant, Holland and Knight um, Law Firm, as well as working with our city law department and our city treasurer's office. In fact, I had a meeting this morning. So we every Tuesday and Thursday, we have a meeting with Holland and Knight and also with the law department and the treasurer's office, getting through all the regulatory aspects. But to me, the public bank would be an opportunity to use city resources to provide access, to, a better way to access to credit. For example, credit enhancement, uh, letters of credit that can make a business that may not have friends and family that can underwrite a lot of collateral, that can make them more attractive to lenders, both small lenders and large commercial lenders. And if we can make them more attractive to you know, lenders and banks, then it makes it easier for them to access credit. They can hire more people, provide more jobs, help address our poverty and our gun violence issue in our city. Makes so much sense. I mean, it brings me back to that to the bus story of your grandfather, right? Which is if you give people the, the, even a small amount of resources that they can figure out how to make their lives and their families' lives and their communities' lives better, it can have a generational impact. Right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. That's, that's the opportunity with the public right. bank is this money just sits there right. in, in city reserves and other accounts. And if you can use it as a backstop, right, then you can create a lot of opportunity right. for folks. If we can find a way to use public dollars, which come from those same business owners who pay their taxes in the city of Philadelphia uh, and provide them with the ability to then get more money to help finance their business. I mean, right now we're talking about infrastructure. And one of the concerns that I hear from a lot of our black and brown business owners is that $1.2 trillion, that sounds great, but if I don't have additional credit, 
I won't have the cash flow to handle hiring additional employees to really take advantage of that infrastructure opportunities. So yes, it's a generational infrastructure bill, which is very needed. And I, as a past president of Pennsylvania Municipal League, I've been arguing for infrastructure as a board member for National League of Cities, been arguing for infrastructure, and as national president of Democratic Municipal Officials, we've been talking infrastructure and build back better. But also as someone that worked as a small business lender in North Philadelphia, my question and concern is, are we gonna have the resources for businesses in the city of Philadelphia, in cities around the country, we have entrepreneurs of color who can really take advantage of $1.2 trillion to grow generational wealth for their family members and for their neighbors and help grow jobs and hopefully reduce the poverty in cities in our nation. Makes sense. Can I ask about another, and it's, it's, in some ways it's sort of similar, right, is your efforts on decriminalization of uh, cannabis and legalization in that you have an industry that is uh, a multi-billion dollar industry yes. that you want to, one, sort of take out of the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. but two, there's an opportunity for communities of color which have borne the brunt of the anti-drug mm-hmm. laws to then create opportunities. Can you talk about where you think your state is headed on this? Well, hopefully our our state will move in that direction. Uh, I recently introduced a bill and we had a a charter change question on the November ballot asking the citizens of the city of Philadelphia, do you think that Governor Tom Wolf should deregulate and allow adult use cannabis in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and also decriminalize these issues and provide and tax it so it can be used for economic development opportunities around the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which would help and really benefit Philadelphia, which is the largest city in the Commonwealth. Uh, I've seen uh, what's happened in other states in reference to cannabis. I have a a good friend and colleague, Senator Sharif Street, who's been pushing this issue. He actually now has some bipartisan legislation in Harrisburg to allow adult use cannabis. Most of the states around Pennsylvania all have adult use cannabis. So you look at Delaware, New York, New Jersey, also Massachusetts. A number of states are moving in that direction. And we brought medical marijuana to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and that's done real phenomenal um, work in our state and in our city. And I really got connected to cannabis um, through both the medical marijuana space, having a child on the autism spectrum, and I've been a strong advocate in reference to early diagnosis of autism and services for people that have learning differences. Some of the people that I you know, work with who do this advocacy in other parts of the country were talking about how cannabis was very helpful for their child. And so between that and also, you know, some years ago, I was the board chair of a senior center in Philadelphia called Center in the Park. And some of our members were saying, hey, I talked to my, my friend Blanche who lives in Colorado and she's using this CBD oil and I started using it too. And it's like, did you say CBD oil? <laughs> So you know what that is? Oh, yeah, it makes my joints feel better. And you know, even former Congressman Dana Rohrbacher, very conservative, I believe Orange County, he was a strong proponent early on for those type of products. So between knowing the history of cannabis, having a farming background, seeing what cannabis has done for those in the autism space, and also seeing how it's helped seniors, that's how I got into this space, but also the 
perspective, what cannabis has done from a criminal justice perspective, and how it's impacted black and brown individuals, not only in Philadelphia, but around the nation. That's why we need to decriminalize, but also provide opportunities for those same people who have disproportionately gone into the prison industrial complex, have those economic development opportunities to grow jobs and provide revenue and wealth to cities around the nation. Yeah, it's absolutely critical. I mean, it's we've seen this burgeoning growth, and it's it's a you know we my county grows a lot of strawberries and apples, <laughs> uh, and now we grow a lot of cannabis. Yes, and, it's, um, it's a challenge because you're sort of inventing regulations as you go, right? Because there's not a playbook still because it's all so new. But you also have to make sure that it's not just all the venture capitalists mm-hmm. and the new money that's coming in, but the communities that suffered under the previous approach will get to benefit, hopefully, Absolutely. under this new approach. You gotta be really intentional about it. To another policy issue, you've introduced an effort to look at ranked choice voting in your city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most folks are confused by ranked choice voting, but now we're seeing it happen in major cities across the country, New York being mm-hmm. one that we just saw. Tell me about why you think it might be a good fit for Philadelphia. Well, ranked choice voting, and I've been looking at how we can get people more engaged in the electoral process. Um, In our November election, we had about 18% turnout. So I've been looking at a lot of different ideas and issues. I think ranked choice voting is one concept. Now, we would need to get legislation, enabling legislation at the state level. So I've, I just had a meeting um, this week with State Senator Anthony Hardy-Williams, who also had an op-ed about this idea of bringing ranked choice voting to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So we're going to have a city-state conversation, hopefully in the first quarter of next year, to talk about this issue and kind of educate more people. But I think it gives people a better way to be engaged in electoral process in reference to their leverage and the power of their vote, and they have multiple opportunities to have their voice be heard. But I'm also looking at other ideas. Uh, I introduced a bill for public financing of elections. Um, we're going to bring that back, hopefully, early part of next quarter, as well as you know, looking at term limits and other ideas that can provide some additional perspective to the voters in the city of Philadelphia, try to get them more engaged in the political process. To me, being a citizen and the number one opportunity of being a citizen is voting. You know, my grandfather only wore a, a suit two times to go to church and to vote. And so voting has been something that was instilled in me at a very young age and being very important. And I just want to kind of get back to that civics and perspectives and letting people know the importance of voting in every election. I don't believe in the concept of off your election because every election is important. Uh, Either you're voting for judges in your commonwealth or in your state, or you're voting for president or a county supervisor, or you're voting for a council member or a state representative, that person that you're electing, she can help make policy decisions that will impact either your business or your life. And I think we've seen that in even school board, and we've seen what's happened at the school board level, which, and I have friends who are members of school boards, that's a very, very challenging position. And that was before COVID, because you're dealing with taxes and new families saying we want smart boards and all these things and you have more seasoned families as my dad would say that have children that are out of school and they're saying well why are you raising my taxes and then you add the pandemic and mass mandates and testing and vaccinations that just made that position so much more challenging but it's very very important for the fabric of our country 
Yeah. But when I was thinking about running for office, my dad was like, think about any office. School board, remember, you're standing between parents and what they believe is best for their kids. And it is, they, they do not go lightly. Not when, at all. When, that, and that, and that, when those are the issues. Um, Absolutely. Need, as we've seen, we need good and smart people on these school boards because right. it can get crazy and it's, quickly. it's gotten very challenging i'm very thankful for the people that um, choose to serve in that position because it is very very challenging but it's so very important and we need great people with great ideas and integrity to be willing to serve speaking of willing to serve what's your what, what are your future plans what, what do you think about for your path for public service well you know i uh that's, that's a good question. Our next election is 2023. Uh, I'm thinking about what my future will hold in 2023. Our mayor's term limited in 2023. And so I'll be thinking about a lot of things in the future. But ultimately, it's not. It's about what you as elected officials are doing to really move your city, your county, your state, our nation, really being a servant leader. So I try to really listen to my constituents. Now, uh, we have 17 members of council, 10 district council members, and seven at large. So when people say, what's your council district? My district is the entire city of Philadelphia. So I've got to listen to issues and concerns that people have in you know, Bridesburg and Northeast Philadelphia to um, Mount Airy uh, in Northwest Philadelphia to issues in Pennsport in South Philadelphia, to issues in Southwest Philadelphia. So I have to have a very broad perspective and ultimately it's about listening to people. I don't think we do enough of that in elected service. Too often people have an idea and they're like, well, I've got the idea and so let's just do it and make it happen. Well, are the constituents on board with that idea? So I try to do a lot of listening and you know, I, I call myself a city employee that was just fortunate enough to have um, his employment contract uh, renewed every four <laughs> years. Uh, we'll see if the citizens of the city of Philadelphia will renew it for another four years in 2023. That makes sense. Talk a little bit, I mean, I think it's, this is something that maybe elected officials think about and maybe the general public doesn't, but it's incredibly important, which is that dynamic between people who are elected citywide and your fellow council members who are elected by district. And how do you, when you, when you have a citywide vision and responsibility, how do, you, how do you work with each one of the districts and then your other at-large folks? That is a challenge. The blessing for me is that I worked for a district council member for a number of years. So I understand the pressures and the concerns because as a district council member, you're focusing on the specific constituents in your neighborhood, in your district. So you have to be a real subject matter expert for the assets you have. So if you represent South Philadelphia, you have the Navy Yard, you have the sports stadiums in your district. If you're in like Center City, you have you know commercial office buildings and you may have some universities that have downtown offices. And if you're in West Philadelphia, you've got the University of Pennsylvania and Drexel. And so you've got to be cognizant of all those issues as a district council member. But as an at-large member, you also have to think, how do all of these various assets of the city blend together to move the city forward? So I've done legislation that at times can be a little Challenging, but I'm also thinking about how can we make sure that this asset, like the airport, which is in you know South Philadelphia, but also is in Northeast Philadelphia, how we're making sure that this engine is helping to really um, benefit the entire city of Philadelphia, and so that can be 
a challenge. Uh, so I, I try to lean on my experiences of working for a district council member and the perspective she provided, but also being a citywide council member and also seeing what other ideas come from other cities. That's why I participate in organizations like uh, the New Deal or National League of Cities or Democratic Municipal Officials, Pennsylvania Municipal League. There's no new way to deal with poverty or gun violence. There may be new ideas that you may not have in your city, but other cities are doing creative things. So let's bring back some of those ideas back to Philadelphia. Yeah, every New Deal conference, I come back with a bunch of ideas yes. that other people worked really hard on that I'm going to take full credit exactly. for in my community. <laughs> but, you know, shamelessly. But, but also, but if you talk to that person that spent that energy, yeah. they're like, thank you. Because yeah. you're now acknowledging the hard work that me and probably a significant number of team members worked on to get that introduced and then implement it, which is the next phase. You can't just introduce and pass the bill. you got to implement it. But that's how we grow our cities and that's how we grow our counties and our municipalities and our nation by working collectively on these ideas. Because this is hard work. We didn't get into the issues like climate change and and gun violence and others overnight, it took time. So let's use the collective resources and energy we have from leaders around um, this nation to make a change locally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully our, uh, our public banks will be a model that, that <laughs> others can steal and grow. Uh, Feel free. And, uh, yeah, and we, we can have a national impact uh, as right. at the same time we're having an impact in our community. Absolutely. Well, Councilmember Green, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your service, and thank you for your contribution to New Deal. And thank you for your service, and thank you for doing this. This is a really great uh, opportunity. I love the title because it truly is an honorable profession. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.